Hi, and welcome, or welcome back, to the Southside Baptist Church podcast. Following this episode, please take a moment and subscribe to the podcast and download our free app by searching SSBC Jacks in the App Store or in Google Play. Through that, you can access our recent messages, help keep up with all that's going on here at Southside. Now, most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step on your faith journey. Enjoy. He is risen indeed. Happy Easter. It is great to be together this morning on Easter Sunday morning as we gather here in this place to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're a guest with us, we especially want to say welcome to you. We're glad you're here and to let you in on a little secret, and that is we celebrate the resurrected Jesus every Sunday that we gather. The disciples made it a habit of getting together on that first day of the week. The Sabbath had traditionally in the Jewish world, started at sunset on Friday, and uh, the the Christians, who all came from a Jewish background in those early days, uh, began to gather on a regular basis on that first day of the week because it commemorated for them that day that they found the tomb was empty. And so we as Christians continue to do that every Sunday, and we're glad you joined us on this particular Sunday, but we'd love for you to join us each and every Sunday as we gather to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. My name is Gary Weber. I'm the senior pastor here at Southside, and again, we're so glad you're with us. I want to ask you this morning if you can think back to a time in your life when something was so close you could taste it. Now, for some of you, um, if you were a sports fan or you played sports, maybe you can think back to some high school or college game where uh, the championship was right there. Maybe you made it all the way to the finals. Maybe you even made it into overtime, and you were just thinking, this is going to be it. This is the year, only to be disappointed uh, when maybe the game didn't go the way you thought it would go. I know this year, for example, anybody in here fans of March Madness? Anybody follow over the March Madness? I'm not going to ask if you made a bracket, just how many of you fans of March Madness? So apparently this year, uh, there was a record broken uh, in March Madness. The Elite Eight, those games, those four games were decided by a total of 18 points. They, they were the closest games in the history of, of, of March Madness. Now, here's what's interesting about that, because you think all those teams that won, won and went on to the finals, that's great for them. But think about the other four teams, how close they were. I mean, if one person had just made, made one more block, or if they had made that free throw, it was the difference in the game. It was so close, they could taste it. Now, I'm a Georgia Bulldog fan, and a couple years ago, we almost beat Alabama in the championship game. Almost. It was so close, we could taste it, right? So near, we could taste it. For all the Jaguar fans, right now, it is so close, you can taste it. And this may be as close as it gets, right? But you know what I'm talking about. Those moments where it is so near, you're so close, you can almost taste it. But it's not just about sports. In fact, really, when you think about sports, that sort of captures it. But really, it's the issues in life that are so close, we can almost taste it. Maybe for you, it was a job promotion. You had an opportunity to get a position, and they were considering you. You went through some interviews, and man, you were banking on this. You needed this. You needed this opportunity to come your way. And it got down to maybe you and one other candidate. And then you got the call. They went with the other candidate. And it was so close. It was so close, you could taste it. You think, well, if I just answered one question differently, maybe it would have gone the other way. Maybe for some of you, it was that moment where you thought he or she was the one. Right? I mean, you'd you'd been dating for a while. I mean, the relationship was forming. and, And you just thought, oh, this is it. This is it for me. 
Only it never happened and she wasn't the right one. He wasn't the right person. Or, or maybe you even went so far as to stand at the altar and you were so convinced this is the right person only to discover that it didn't work out the way you'd hoped it would. And so that led to a level of disappointment. Maybe, maybe you longed to have that child and you tried and there were all these close calls. Maybe, maybe, maybe you even, had, even got to the point where that pregnancy test showed positive, but it just wasn't meant to be. And you lost the baby. And it was so close, you could taste it, and it's painful. And it almost seems like the closer we get to the thing we hope for, the greater the disappointment if it doesn't come through. Many of you know what I'm talking about. Your circumstances are different, your stories are different, but you've experienced this. When when life's disappointments come your way, and the greater the hope, the greater the anticipation, the greater the expectation, the greater the disappointment is. So here's on Easter Sunday morning, what I want us to talk about. How do you deal with life's greatest disappointments? What do you do when it was so close you could taste it? When one small decision would have made all the difference and it didn't end up going your way? You know, if you felt that way, you're not alone. In fact, the Bible's full of stories of people who felt exactly like that. In some of the same situations that I've even described here this morning, some of those people were Jesus' disciples. They had walked with Jesus and heard Jesus teach, say these wonderful things about the kingdom. They'd seen him heal people. They'd seen him even raise people from the dead. Their expectations were high. They felt like it was so close that, in fact, the disciples began to talk about to Jesus about what it would be like when he came into his kingdom. Now, in their minds, what that meant was that finally, Finally, there was going to be a a Jewish Messiah, a king who would rise up, throw off the Roman oppressors, take back the throne of Israel, and establish Israel back to its rightful place. And they really felt like this was the guy. I mean, who else could do the things he had done? He had walked on water. He had healed blind people. He had made lame people walk again. He had even raised Lazarus from the dead. This was the one. It was so close they could taste it. In fact, two of the disciples even went to Jesus. They had their mother come to Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, hey, is it all right if my boys sit in your right and your left hand? I mean, it was so close. And yet, the night before Jesus was arrested, as they gathered in that upper room, Jesus kept saying some very disturbing things. That it didn't appear to be going the way they had thought it was going to go. And so ultimately Jesus was arrested and he was tried and he was condemned to be crucified. Those disciples who just hours before were living with such great expectations and such great anticipation, they fled, they dispersed, they were hiding everywhere. And the whole time they had to be thinking in their minds, we were so close, how could this have gone wrong? And so we come face to face with another one of life's greatest disappointments. God. Come on. At the heart of all of those disappointments that you've experienced, you've asked yourself a question. Where was God when? And you fill in the blank. Was God unaware? Was he absent? Why didn't God come through for me? It was so close. What's wrong? And we find ourselves disappointed not just in our circumstances, but maybe we find ourselves disappointed in God, in religion, Well, listen, you're in good company because everybody who wrote this story in the New Testament had experienced exactly that same feeling. 
they were disappointed. They were disappointed because they had thought Jesus was going to be the one. In fact, this morning, I want us to take a look at two of Jesus' disciples. And I want us to see how disappointed they actually were and what was said to them about dealing with life's disappointments. If you have a Bible, open to Luke chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible with you, we'll put these verses on the screen. There are also paper Bibles in front of you. And if you do not own a Bible, we would love for you to take that as our gift to you this morning. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. That's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 24, towards the end of the Gospel of Luke. Jesus has been arrested and he has been crucified. And then we see this particular scene as some disciples deal with what, must for them, what for them must have been the greatest disappointment they'd ever experienced. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. Now that same day, two of them, meaning two of Jesus' disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Now, everything that had happened means what we just skipped over to get to chapter 24. That Jesus had been arrested and crucified. That they had hoped that Jesus was going to be the conquering Messiah. The, the victorious military, military conqueror. The political figure. So they were talking about everything that had just happened. They were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. About a seven mile walk. They didn't have Uber. So they're walking that distance. Which would have taken them a good part of the day to get there. Now leaving Jerusalem is significant. Because if they were leaving Jerusalem, get ready for it, here comes major, major insight here. If they were leaving Jerusalem, it meant they weren't staying in Jerusalem. You with me? All right, so they're leaving Jerusalem and they're going to Emmaus. They're leaving Jerusalem behind. Now, why that is so significant is because it is a mission on their part, point that it is over. Everything that they had hoped for, everything that they had longed for, Everything that they had dreamed about was over. It was done. It was time to pack up and it was time to go home. And so these two disciples were on their way home. Verse 15. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Now that's really significant. They were kept from recognizing him. Now it's interesting, if you were to go and read the other accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in your Bible there are four unique accounts of the life of Jesus written by four different people, four different perspectives on the events of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. And so if you were to go and look at them, you will find this is something that is similar between all of them. In fact, John chapter 20 verse 14 says this, at this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. This is one of the women who went to the tomb. John chapter 21, verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Matthew chapter 28, verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some, what's that word? Doubted. Now, I love this. I love that the Bible includes that. There were those who gathered there to worship him, but some doubted. People were standing in front of Jesus, talking to him, and they didn't know it was him. And they included it in the Bible. And here's why this is so important. Because if you're here today and you would say, you know what, I'm not a believer. I don't know what I believe. But I know I find it very difficult to believe that a dead man could come back to life three days later. That is not an unreasonable position to hold. 
And it's also the same position that people in Jesus' day had. And the disciples, those who wrote this account, weren't trying to hide the fact that people questioned and doubted this. In fact, they included it in the scriptures for us to read about. And here's the question. Why would early Christians include these passages if they were trying to prop up a lie? Just ask yourself that question. Why would they have included these passages? Why would they have included the fact that people doubted if they were making the whole thing up and trying to position uh, Jesus as somebody he wasn't? But these passages are included. And so you have people who see, but they don't actually see. So these two disciples are walking along. Jesus is with them, but they do not recognize him. Why don't they recognize him? Look at verse 17. So he, Jesus, asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. Now, now, this is just on my part. I, I don't know. We don't, have, you know. we don't have video clip of this scene to see what's going on. But is it just possible that their inability to see Jesus wasn't because he looked different or wasn't because there was something mystical about him? But maybe their inability to see Jesus was simply that they weren't picking up their heads. That they were so overcome by their disappointment, so overcome by their, by, by their pain, by their suffering. They were so overcome by their circumstances that they just simply failed to lift their heads and look. Their faces were downcast. They weren't even looking at him. Listen to how they answer in verse 18. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, <laughs> I love this, this is just hilarious. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there on these days? I mean, where have you been, buddy? Don't you know what's going on? Of course, they have no clue who they're talking to. Now, Jesus, I love this, Jesus is just kind of leading them on. Listen to what he says next. What things, he asked. I mean, <laughs> Jesus is completely setting these guys up. I have to imagine Jesus was laughing, smiling at himself. What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers hanged him, uh, hanged, handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was to redeem Israel. See, some discouragement and unbelief, they had this discouragement and unbelief that all of Jesus' followers had. All of Jesus' followers had hoped that he was the one. It wasn't only that they had placed their hopes in Jesus and now he was dead. It was that they had, they had placed their hopes in this conquering king who had been defeated. And he was supposed to be the one to throw off the Roman oppressors. And instead the Romans had arrested him, tried him, and had him killed. They had acknowledged, even in what they're saying to Jesus here, that Jesus was a prophet, that he was a powerful person, but they left something out. You see, they had hoped that he was the Messiah. We had hoped he was the one. But they no longer did. Past tense, we had hoped. Let me ask you on this Easter morning, in what way are your hopes past tense? What had you hoped for that you no longer even hope for? What had you dreamed about that you no longer dream about? What had you longed to see happen that you long since gave up even thinking about? We had hoped he was the one. Verse 21. And what is more, 
It is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. Now this is amazing. Not only were they walking beside Jesus, totally unable to see who he was, but they had actually already been presented with evidence that the tomb was empty and they missed it. They acknowledged that it was the third day, indicating that some, for some reason they knew something was going to happen on the third day. Something was supposed to happen. Jesus had said it repeatedly. In fact, Luke chapter 18, verse 33, Jesus said this, They will flog him and kill him. On the third day he will rise again. Jesus isn't being very subtle here. In fact, he's being very clear. He's going to, the Messiah is going to be flogged. He's going to be killed. And on the third day, he's going to come back to life. Matthew chapter 17, verse 23. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. Matthew chapter 20, verse 19. And he will be handed over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. So Jesus had said it to them over and over again to the point that they knew something was supposed to happen on the third day. But guess what happened on the third day? On the third day, there were some women who came and said, hey, guess what? The tomb is empty. And the, the evidence supported the women's claim. But they were still overcome by their doubt. Despite the fact that Jesus had said it, despite the fact that the women had told them the tomb was empty, they still packed up their stuff and they left the city of Jerusalem to go back to Emmaus. The story about the resurrection was beginning to circulate and they dismissed all of it out of hand. So much so that they weren't even willing to stay just a little bit longer to see if it were true. Have you had a moment like that? Where the hope was so great and the disappointment so intense that you couldn't even stay anymore. You couldn't even wait another moment. You couldn't handle any more disappointment. You couldn't handle any more hurt. You couldn't take the circumstances of your life anymore. And so you just, you just left. You just ran away from it. Because you couldn't be confronted with the disappointment any longer. Verse 25, he said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Let me just break this down for you, boys. Let's just go back to the very beginning, to Moses and the prophets, and let me tell you, what was going to happen, what had to happen to fulfill God's plan. See, first century Jews did not see the Messiah as a suffering figure. They didn't think the Messiah was going to come and be crucified or beaten. This was a completely foreign concept to them. See, Isaiah had prophesied about it. Moses had talked about it centuries before. Jesus had even told them many times, but the people of Jesus' day could not conceive of such a reality. The theologian N.T. Wright says this, they had been reading the Bible through the wrong end of the telescope. They had been seeing it as a story of how God would redeem Israel from suffering, but instead it was a story about how God was going to redeem Israel through the suffering of the Messiah. The very Messiah that they had been following 
The very person whom they'd heard teaching, the very same person they had seen raise the dead to life, that they had thought would be a military conqueror, was in fact the Messiah they hoped for. They just couldn't see him. See, sometimes we're blinded in life by what we think we know. We're blinded in life by the way we think things ought to go. And so, messiahs don't die. Dead men don't come back to life. And so we just pack up our stuff and we leave Jerusalem. Verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in and he stayed with them. Now remember, they still have no idea who this is. When he was at the table with them, He took bread and gave thanks, broke it, and he began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? See, they totally missed it. But in that sacred moment, as Jesus took the bread and broke it, there was a memory triggered in their mind. A memory of something that happened just a few days before when they were in an upper room. And Jesus took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in what? Remembrance. Do this in remembrance of me. And suddenly as he broke the bread, they remembered Do you have food that brings back memories? Like, are there certain things you eat when you eat it, you think about your grandmother? Or or when you eat it, you you think about your mom or your dad, or or you remember a a family vacation or a a picnic? Or or maybe there's somebody, when you eat this particular food or you taste this particular flavor, you just have this impression that comes back to your mind. Food serves as a memory peg in our mind. Somehow it it, it ignites inside of us memories that that are filed away. So as these disciples were there and they took the bread and they broke it, suddenly their eyes were opened and they realized it was Jesus, but by then he was already gone. And they said, weren't our hearts burning within us? Didn't we realize? See, here's what you need to know. Your heart discerns God's presence long before your eyes do. Let me say that again. Your heart will discern God's presence long before your eyes will see evidence of him. And so there are times when you need to trust the feeling that you have. As God is beginning to work inside, as God is beginning to draw you, maybe even at a point of great pain or great disappointment, and yet somehow you feel like God is with you. You feel it. You don't see him. You don't see him in your circumstances. You don't see him in the outlook. The future doesn't look like he's there. Doesn't look, the future doesn't look good. But somewhere inside of your heart, you know that Jesus is there. Verse 33. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true. The Lord is risen. He has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. You see, what happened when they made it back to Jerusalem? They found out that Simon, 
had seen Jesus. That Jesus had already shown up. You know what that means? If they had just stayed, they would have seen him. But because of disappointment, because of hurt, they left. They ran away. But do you know what else this tells me? It tells me how amazing God's love is for us. That even when we turn our backs, even when we give up on hope, Jesus does not stop pursuing you. The resurrected Jesus is still coming after, even in doubt and even in disappointment. And maybe today, on Easter Sunday morning, you find yourself here and you are covered up in doubt and you are covered up in disappointment. And if the truth be known, you are running away from God because the pain is too great. And what you need to know is that the resurrected Jesus is still coming after you. You may not be able to see him right now in the midst of your circumstances. You may not be able to hear his voice right now or discern that it is his voice. But something inside of your heart longs for that to be true. So what do you do? What do you do with disappointments? I want to share with you three things about finding God in life's disappointment. The first thing is lift your head. If you're disappointed in life right now, lift up your head. Verse, 20, uh, verse 17 says, they stood still, their faces downcast. Maybe what you need to do in your disappointment is lift your head. See, you will never see God past your circumstances until you recognize that God is in your circumstances. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. He has not abandoned you. He is in the middle of the disappointment. He is in the middle of the hurt. He is with you. Lift up your head and see him. See, Jesus could have made it obvious to these two guys, but he didn't. Why not? Why wouldn't Jesus just have revealed himself to them from the very beginning? I think it's because God is more concerned with growing your faith than he is with maintaining your happiness. See, life tells you pursue happiness. Jesus is interested in developing your faith. Happiness is temporary. Faith is eternal. And so in the middle of that disappointment, Jesus didn't make it obvious to them because he was working to grow their faith. God may be using your disappointment right now to reveal himself to you. Every disappointment you've ever had, every disappointment you've ever suffered began with hope. You'd hoped for a good marriage or to be married. You had hoped for a retirement, but the economy turned south. You'd hoped your health would be better, but it isn't. You'd hoped for your spouse's health to be better, but it wasn't. You'd hoped for your career to be different, for your, your education to be different, for your kids to turn out different. Life is filled with disappointments, and life seldom turns out the way we hope it will. And we sometimes think, if my life had been different, if only what I had hoped for had come true, then I could point to God. If things had been different, then I could find God. If all my dreams and hopes had been fulfilled, then I would know God. But what if God isn't somewhere else in another life you aren't living right now? What if instead God is present with you right now where you are in the middle of the disappointment, in the middle of the failures, in the middle of the brokenness, in the middle of the pain? What if God is in that life and you just don't see him? Lift up your head. Just because you don't see Jesus in the middle of your circumstances does not mean that he is not there. The prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Lift up your head. The second piece of advice I think this passage gives us 
when we're dealing with life's disappointment is to stop and listen. Look what it says in verse 22 through 24. Some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb, but didn't find his body. They came and told us what they had seen, the vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. They weren't listening. They weren't listening to what was happening, and we don't either. Maybe we need to stop listening to the tape of our bad experiences and our past disappointments and the lies of the enemy. And we need to instead listen to people of hope. People like the women who went to the tomb. People like Jesus who had said the the Messiah will be crucified, but he will come again. People like the prophet Isaiah, the law and the prophets. All these things had been pointing all along to this, but they weren't listening. They weren't hearing. Have you explored these possibilities for yourself? Have you listened for the voice of God yourself? You're asking the questions, can Jesus possibly be in my pain? Can Jesus possibly be in my disappointment? But let me ask you, are you listening for evidence that that's true? Have you read the scriptures to see how many times Jesus appears in the middle of the crisis, in the middle of the storm? He makes himself known. Stop and listen. And last, taste and see. Taste and see. Look what happened at the end, verse 30 through 32. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? I love what Psalm 34, 8 says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Do you remember when you were a kid? And you were sitting at table, maybe it was Easter, maybe it was Thanksgiving or Christmas. And, and people make weird things at holidays, don't they? I mean, like there are things that you only make at the holidays, you never eat any other time of the year. And so as a kid, you're sitting at the table and you're ready for desserts. Instead, you know, somebody puts a bunch of greens on your plate or something, you know, and you're like, what is that? And what did, what did, what did your mom used to say to you? Taste it. Like, just, just taste it. And your reaction was what? Mm. Now, how many of you, how many of you have had the experience where there was something that you turned your nose up, but when you finally tasted it, even though you didn't want to admit it, you liked it? You had to taste it to know that it was true, right? Listen, I think that's what Jesus was telling the disciples here. As they broke the bread, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's okay to will yourself towards the hope in the face of disappointment. It's okay to say, you know what? My life has gone so badly without the hope and the belief in the resurrected Jesus. What would it hurt? Come on. What would it hurt if you just tried it? What if God loved you enough that he actually would take on flesh and come to earth to show God's love for you? To save you from your sin? What would it hurt just for a moment Just for the next season of life, if you just set aside the doubts, set aside the fear, and you were just to say, what if I just, what if I just entertained the idea that maybe Jesus is alive? And maybe while I've been running away from God, he has been pursuing me. What if I just began 
to hope again. This morning, on Easter Sunday morning, for some of you, as you face life's disappointments, I want to invite you to lift up your head and assure you that God has not abandoned you. But the story of the resurrection is evidence that God is with you. Stop and listen. Listen to the evidence that comes to us down through the ages and the evidence of the people sitting around you who have had life-changing experiences because the resurrected Jesus has touched them. And finally, taste and see that the Lord is good. Will you pray with me? Father, on this Easter morning, we come together with the great anticipation and expectation of the resurrection of Jesus, an event that took place over 2,000 years ago and yet still is new every day as we find ourselves in the grave of doubt and disappointment and yet you continue to call us out of the grave. Lord, I pray that this morning for those who are here today who are running away from you because they've been hurt so many times, who who can no longer see you in the middle of their circumstances, I pray that today, like these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, that they would lift up their heads, that they would stop and listen. And Father, that they would believe that you love them so much that you're pursuing them even now. Father, help us today to taste and see that you are good. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us so much that you would send your son, that he would die for our sins. We thank you that today we can celebrate the hope, that that, the difference that makes in our life. And Father, we pray that as we leave this place, we would leave in the hope and an expectation of being loved and pursued by you. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you happen to live in the Jacksonville area, we'd love to engage with you during our Wednesday or Sunday gatherings here on campus. For direction, service times, information about our wonderful next-gen children environments, please visit us at ssbc.org.